Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Sometimes it's hard to know how to start a new hour. So we are going to pivot um, our conversation from last hour to this. And that doesn't mean um, that we are taking our eye off or our heart off of the concern related to what is uh, not only going on in Minneapolis, but across our country. Um, it, It in no way suggests that we are pivoting away from the George Floyd story or the concerns related to it. It's simply an acknowledgement that at some point um, you just have to wait in silence for uh, for God to answer a prayer and reveal a next step. And um, um, silence is not so great for live radio. <laughs> so um, while we are waiting in silence in terms of next steps uh, and what we can positively do to be I mean, actually, like anti-racist. This is not about you and I um, speaking platitudes. This is about us figuring out how to be actively anti-racist. So we're going to put that conversation over here on the right side of our morning uh, morning talk. And then right here in the middle, like right now, main course conversation, we're going to talk with Peter Kapsner about some other things. And so the coronavirus um, has created all kinds of weird new realities. Uh, One weird new reality, my mom is having surgery right now at the Northeast Georgia Medical Center. Um, Open heart surgery, triple bypass. She had a heart attack on Monday. Um, Thanks be to God, she survived. My dad had a heart attack uh, in 1984 and did not survive. So um, this is... uh, This is a a day in which I would normally, right, be sitting with my sister and my stepdad in uh, a surgical waiting room, but I'm not. I'm on the radio with you, so it's a little bit weird for me. But coronavirus says, well, you can't go down there anyway. You can't. You you can't see her. You can't be in the hospital. You can't see her when she comes out of surgery. In fact, you can't see her when she's in the ICU. You can't see her when she's in in recovery at the hospital. I mean, so the next time that you could actually see her would be when she's released from the hospital, which will be sometime next week. So you have me. I don't know for better or for worse. You have me. Um, and so the coronavirus, we passed a really significant milestone yesterday in the United States of America with uh, 100,000 coronavirus deaths. Now, it could be that that number is higher than that, that there may be uh, deaths related to the coronavirus that have not been categorized as such. Um, but it's important to recognize that is a significant number of people, right? Um, and as the press secretary for the White House said, one death is too many. One de- There's no... There's no number here. There's no magic number that we're looking at that we're going to say, oh, wow, that's a that's not as bad a number as we thought it might be. That's one way to look at this. One death is too many. The George Floyd story illuminates that reality. One death is too many. Um, The nation is making overall progress against the virus, but that progress is not universal. There still are 
major pockets of infection, and there still are certainly populations of Americans who are at increased risk. Nursing homes and African-American individuals with pre-existing conditions um, are the two top tier uh, sort of categories of concern. They have taken a higher percentage um, of the or they have suffered a higher percentage of the deaths related to the coronavirus than everyone else in the general population. Ten states um, have not seen a single week of significant improvement. Caseloads um, getting worse in uh, steadily over the month in uh, Alabama, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, California, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Um, and so let us be mindful that uh, although we might want to imagine that we are free of this and we can live free of this, we are not yet free of the coronavirus. And so um, let us let us be careful. Let us be prayerful. Let us be uh, responsible. And um, and let us not be crazy. There you go. Which is my segue to the conversation with Peter Kapsner, not because he's crazy, but because there are some people thinking some pretty crazy things like, OK, after the coronavirus America is going to be meat-free. It's going to be an, an, a vegan country. You ready for that? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. That's my friend Peter Kapsner's walk-up music. Welcome back, sir. Hey, thanks so much, Carmen. And uh, just thanks for the way you're talking about some things this morning. It's a sobering day on a number of levels, right, with uh, obviously the things going on in Minneapolis, the passing 100,000 deaths and the coronavirus and with your mom and open-heart surgery. So I just... I, I, you know, I don't have a life verse per se, but I think there's seasons of life in which certain passages of scripture seem to intersect our lives, maybe in a more meaningful way than other seasons in life. And for whatever reason, the last six to 12 months, I've kind of been just chewing on that, that passage from the gospel of John chapter 16, verse 33, where Jesus says in this world, you'll have trouble, but take care. I've overcome the world. And, and so it doesn't deny or try to avoid the trouble. It just says that there's an answer within the trouble. And, and uh, I'm just I'm glad you're on air giving some of that answer and, and uh, some of the light that's still possible in the darkness. Hey, thanks, my brother. Um, let me give a quick uh, thank you and shout out to Lori and Lainey and Ann and Jane and others who have uh, texted in that you're praying uh, for my mom this morning. I appreciate that. I assured her of that when I talked to her uh, last night. I assured her that... Um, Everybody listening would be praying. So if you've ever wondered, what can you do for Carmen? Uh, just go ahead and lift up a prayer for Ruth Ann and uh, and your job here will be done. There you go. That's a little mm. shout out. Okay. Um, <laughs> the end of meat. The end of meat. Have we arrived? Peter Kapsner, I will let you uh, be the uh, authority on this. I feel confident that your answer is going to be right. Um, have oh, we dear. arrived? Have we arrived at the end of meat well, gosh, you know, it's a pretty interesting conversation, I'll say, Carmen. And, <laughs> the answer and is just, no. The, answer I mean, is the, the right answer is you're, no. You're not allowing me to duck and dodge a little oh. bit on that one, Carmen. Oh, my gosh. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. <laughs> I know. Now, you know, I, it's, 
It's one of those conversations I haven't, quite frankly, given a lot of thought about up until the last couple of years. And, and the reason why I needed to start thinking about it is these are truly the questions of the next generation. These are I teach an ethics class at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, and we have to cover a number of different topics uh, in terms of how just daily life intersects with morality and God's kingdom and in ethics. And so, you, you know, you talk about things like war, you talk about social justice, and you, you talk about ethics of life, like stem cell research and abortion and, and in vitro fertilization, those kinds of things in the class. But one thing I never had in my syllabus in all the years that I've taught ethics up until the last couple of years was was this. It was, um, should is there a sustainable way of just sort of helping the earth continue to sustain itself. And people will suggest that one of the ways that that has to happen is we have to be done eating meat. And the stats are pretty pretty interesting in the next generations when you're talking about uh, over 30% of some of the younger generations are going fully vegan and, and are avoiding meat. So it's not happening anytime soon. My family of seven and I had uh, two big racks of ribs last night, I, I confess. And uh, so we were not done eating meat, but it is a, it's a pretty pressing conversation in the next generation. I'll be with another family tonight, uh, properly socially distancing, but celebrating uh, her graduation from university. And uh, I'm quite certain these conversations are going to come up because uh, it's, it is what's top of the mind for younger people. So are we done eating meat? Mm, of course not. But, you know, so here goes. I, you know me. I am not at all a supporter of somebody like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, right? So mark the day here on the 27th of May, 2020. I'm going to defend the the congresswoman from New York only because she does represent the next generation. And she took a lot of heat, understandably so, for her Green New Deal. But I think what was unfortunate in that is that it was representative, again, of how little we have thoughtful and complex and sophisticated conversation about some of these topics. She was torn apart in the Green New Deal primarily by the Republican Party because cows were releasing too much methane into the atmosphere, and thus we should go ahead and uh, stop eating meat uh, because uh, that is one of the, the highest sources of greenhouse gases. Now, it, it obviously, like I said, she, she had a lot of teasing, a lot of heat in social media and everything. But I think you just have to sort of step back and say, let's pretend it wasn't her that said it. And what, let's pretend it wasn't something that is so politically divisive right now. And just examine the arguments on its merits. And, and this is what the next generation is doing and needs to do on behalf of the future in terms of should we think about this topic of not eating meat or should we not even worry about it? And so the argument goes that uh, greenhouse gases obviously affect the world in, in a negative way in the environment. If that is and there's debate about that. But let's just say for the sake of argument, it's true, number one. And number two, if it's true that livestock uh, it contributes the third most amount of methane into the atmosphere contributing to these greenhouse gases. Okay, I'm not saying that that's true, but if it is true, then we probably should take a careful look at it. Either way, Carmen, we have to figure out, are these things true or are they not true? And, and cut through all the politics and the rhetoric and he said, she she said, and all of that, because the next generation truly does care deeply about these things. And I was way over my head trying to talk about these things in class a couple of years ago for the first time. But so many of the things that your generation and my generation have cared about related to the earth are not the same things at all that the next generation cares about. And so if we if we want to be relevant to the future on their behalf, I think these are the things that we have to have to discuss, even though I'm still going to enjoy my, my medium to medium rare burger. <laughs> Okay, um, you 
you've said it all, really. I mean, the the conversation related to this is related to farming. It's related to Genesis. It's uh, not just in the beginning when clearly right. uh, there is a veganism, um, but the the giving of animals for eating. Certainly, uh, in the days of Noah, that's made clear. Um, yep. The the separation of clean and unclean animals in terms of uh, the the dietetic codes for the um, Israelites. But then, um, you know, we have uh, the sheet coming down from heaven with the clean and the unclean animals on it three times. And Peter instructed to take and eat, take and eat, take and eat. And he resists. And then, you know, the, the Lord's like, hey, what I've made, you know, what I've made clean, you it's not for you to, to call unclean. We also have admonitions from Paul that we not eat um, that which has been sacrificed to idols because it's a poor witness um, so we just think that there are all kinds of conversations from the scriptures that we can have related to this. Um, I think that part of my challenge, Peter, is that the um, the sources of this conversation today um, come from a fairly elite group of people yes. who can yes, afford who can afford to be vegan. Totally agree. V- veganism is not cheap. That is not a cheap way to go to get all to get a sufficient amount of protein from a vegan diet is expensive. And so, I mean, I do think that, you know, the, this headline um, in this particular New York Times opinion piece that I, that I sent to you, yeah, um, it, you know, it sort of reveals that fact, right? If you care about the working poor, racial justice, and climate change, you have to stop eating animals. Yeah. All right, well, so yeah, it, the, it, the, working, the working poor um, and people of racial diversity um, and people most at risk of climate change uh, or, you know, the the potential downsides of climate change, you know, they can't afford to stop eating animals right now. Like that's not because it's it is it is cheap. We have we have we have created ways of doing it that may not be sustainable in terms of um, uh, the way people think about the environment. But they are they are making massive amounts of high protein food available to the world. So I just think it's a complex conversation. I don't think it meat is. is going away. And particularly for, you know, the hunting community out there, they're definitely saying, I'm still eating elk. I'm still eating buffalo. I'm sort bison. I'm still eating, uh, you know, wild turkeys. I'm still going to eat the deer that, you know, in season, everything in season. For sure. Fish. I'm just saying. That's my, that's my, yeah. <laughs> Pescatarians. Okay. Uh, Peter Kapsner and I are going to change, um, we're going to change gears when we come back from the break. And we're going to ask this question. Are we reading our political theory into the Bible? Are we reading our political theories into Scripture? That is up next. Okay, Peter, let me just go ahead and tell you that our um, Are We Ready to Get Beyond Meat conversation has provoked more feedback uh, on more platforms already than pretty much any conversation we've ever had before. So there you go. People care. <laughs> People it. are passionate about that. So we'll talk about that again. We will tee that up for a future conversation. But right now, let's um, let's pivot. You and I have both read this piece in the lawliberty.org uh, blog about reading political theory into Scripture. Tell, tell people a little bit about this. Yeah, well, and, and of course we do. There's this idea of, do you, do you sort of already have your political convictions 
and then you see scripture and the teachings of scripture through the lens of your political convictions. And of course you do. And, and I'm sure you learned in seminary as I did too, Carmen, that, that, that when you approach the biblical text, you have what's called either exegesis, which is the idea that you try to just sort of clear out our, uh, all of what you already believe or think about something and let the biblical text speak on its own merits and then shape your heart and mind accordingly. Or, or you can do the process, and this is obviously what we don't want to do, which is the process of eisegesis, which you read your already um, defined convictions or values into the text, and therefore you end up uh, seeing things in the text that may not exist. And frankly, Carmen, I think we're all in ways that we're, are known and unknown. We are subject to that process of eisegesis more often than we might care to admit. And, and it manifests itself even in something as simple as uh, the fact I ask my students often that if you know any one verse in the Old Testament, besides in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, what verse might that be? And the most common verse is, of course, Jeremiah 29. And it's about, I know the plans God has for you, plans to prosper you. And, and we talk about we live in a country which the primary value is that you would be empowered to prosper. And because that's true, we end up reading that value into the text and pulling out what is otherwise, you know, no more God-breathed verse than Jeremiah 29, 12, 13, 14, 15, but we pull it out because we're reading into it. And, and we do the same thing with political free. And one of the most common things that's going on, again, I referenced young people in the last segment. I can only sort of just report what I'm seeing in my class and how things have changed in particular the last five to six years. But there's a lot of young people, as I'm sure you've talked about and know, and our listeners know, that really are sympathetic towards socialism. And uh, and reading then specifically that uh, two things. One, Jesus was a socialist, would be the thinking. And then that Acts 2 community, uh, that was the first community birthed out of that incredible movement of the Spirit at Pentecost, in which the Gentiles and the Jews, Jews and, and everything was starting to be unleashed onto the world in this, in this new kingdom that Jesus had brought forth in the inauguration of the Spirit, that that first community was also socialist. And it's so wildly unfortunate because... Uh, especially in that when you think about that Acts 2 community, the big difference as they were sharing things with one another, as they were giving to those who have need and, and taking care of the poor around them, it was all uh, voluntary. It was all an outworking of God's spirit in their inward lives that naturally begins to move towards the wholeness and the shalom of other people. And so from this beautiful place of the spirit transforming us in ongoing ways, we actually authentically begin to care about other people. And from that place, our practices begin to emerge. And their practice was to just naturally, of course I want to take care of my brothers and sisters in need. That's socialism? I don't think so. Socialism is a, fo uh, is a forced, uh, coercive um, means of trying to control the people and their behavior and distribute the wealth regardless of what's going on in a person's heart. Uh, you, are, you have to comply. It is a power over kind of move. It's often through a, a very corrupt kind of governmental system. So to equate the uh, two is very unfortunate. But I think in fairness, Carmen, we can flip the other way and say that for those that would espouse a political platform of individual empowerment, um, well, that's not necessarily in the text either. We are called to be uh, servants and to give our lives, bond servants to a king. We are not free autonomous individuals to just sort of move forward in the world as we choose. That's never the call of scripture either. Uh, we're called to give up our lives to find a new kind of life in service to God's kingdom. So that's a long way of saying, yes, of course, we read our political theories into the text. And I think we have to set those things aside and try to understand what is the invitation 
inherent in following Jesus? And what kind of people do we become independent of any political party? Well, and or political agenda and or um, even the conversation that we just had a moment ago about sure. um, about whether or not, you know, it is righteous or unrighteous to eat meat and uh, upon which passages of Scripture might we lean in that conversation. Um, so, uh, you know, a listener, an astute listener pointing out that maybe I have done in the first segment what we are talking about here in the second segment. Uh, in terms of the way I suggested that Peter's vision of uh, of the Lord, um, you know, giving him the vision of the uh, of the clean and unclean animals both on the sheet together is really an illustration about uh, you know the Gentiles, right? Not not holding that against them. Um, it wasn't actually about eating unclean animals, and I I suppose right there's a conversation there um, about the particular interpretation even of one passage of scripture as it relates to the ethics of the day, whether or not that was just a vision for Peter, how it applies to the rest of us. Those are the kinds of conversations we want people to be having and want to encourage people to have. Certainly the conversations you and I want to have, um, because it's not always just obvious what the application of a text is in a particular day and time. It was spoken in a context to a particular people at a point in time, but it's the living word. And so it does still speak to us. And so how does it speak to us today? What are the principles? Um, What is the context? And then not only the local context of the story, but the context of the book and the context of the, um, you know, the portion of scripture that it's in, where we are in redemptive history, on and on and on. So all of those great um, hermeneutical practices, right? How do we interpret scripture and apply it to life? Peter Kapsner, thank you as always so much. Just a delight. Just a delight. Uh, I'm going to want you to start keeping a food log. Food log. (laughs) I will. I'll give you my food journal next week, Carmen. Hey, I'll be praying for you um, this morning, too. Thank you. Her name's Ruth Ann. Thanks, man. We'll be right back. Okay. All right. What are the questions that are being raised for you? in the midst of this weird new world in which we find ourselves. Maybe some of the questions being raised for you are questions about your calling, questions about um, the work that you do each and every day, and whether or not it's really the work that, you know, God has created you to do. Maybe he's calling you out during this season and into something else. I'm going to have a conversation with author Paula Ferris about her book, Reflections on That Topic. It is called out. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Max Locato. I like the conversation Bob Benson recounts in his book, See You at the House, about his friend who had had a heart attack. For a while, it seemed his friend wouldn't make it, but he recovered. Months later, Bob asked him, well, how did you like your heart attack? What scared me to death, almost. Would you do it again? No. Would you recommend it, Bob asked? Definitely not. And then Bob said, Does your life mean more to you now than it did before? Well, yeah. You and your wife always had a beautiful marriage, but are you closer now than ever? Yes. Do you have a new compassion for people, a deeper understanding and sympathy? Yes, I do. Do you know the Lord in richer fellowship than you'd ever realized? Yes. And then Bob said, so how did you like your heart attack? You know, Deuteronomy 11.2 says, remember what you've learned about the Lord through your experience with him. You do that, my friend, and your mess will become your message. This is Max Locato. This is amazing grace. 
Joining me now is Paula Ferris. You know her as the beloved on-air reporter for ABC News, former co-host of The View. She is now also the author of Called Out, Why I Traded Two Dream Jobs for a Life of True Calling. Paula, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. It's great to be with you on this Thursday, although I had to look at the calendar because everything's still blending together. I'm like, what day my is la- it? I, what, month, I, what month are we That's in? exactly right. Yeah. So, Paul, um, my producer, normally has a word for that. So, Paul, can you tell us what Thursday is called in coronavirus world? I, oh, like, I'm sorry. I forgot. Is it like wife? Is it like Winsterday oh, or something? Yeah, I mean, Winsterday like, right? or something like that. Yeah, they all have, yeah, they they all have names now. Blur, no, Blur's Day. That's what it is. Blur's Day. Oh, it's Blur's Day. Yeah. Yeah. Blur's Day. Oh, that is good. Yeah. Oh, I might steal that if go you ahead. don't mind. I, I stole yeah. it already. So you're, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you stole it and then you forgot it. Yeah. <laughs> this whole program <laughs> is about theft. I don't know if anybody told you. <laughs> okay, I borrowed it. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Okay, so it's a joy to have you. I mean, it really, a genuine joy to have you with us today. Um, Seems like a bit of a, uh, it's always a strange day, right? Because there's always headline news that's heartbreaking and um, terrible things are happening in so many places. And and yet you and I are going to sort of step aside from all of that. We're going to have a real conversation about real life and real calling. And I think I want to tee it up this way, Paula. Who are you? Mm. Yeah, I think that's what I I wrote the book because Carmen, for so long, I didn't know who I was outside of what I did. And so I would have said for the very longest time, you know, I'm a broadcaster. I've been broadcasting for 20 years, but I would have said I'm Paula Ferris and I'm a weekend anchor of Good Morning America and co-host of The View. And um, when that was when that changed, when I decided to step away from that, I didn't know who I was anymore outside of it. And that's what the book is about, you know, finding your purpose um, outside of doing uh, that doesn't finding a purpose that doesn't shift and shake when when the world does. So now I would say, who am I? I'm Paula Ferris. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I love Jesus. I'm curious. I ask a lot of questions and I'm a champion of and challenger of people. That's who I am. Okay. And how did you how did you get there? Because I think that the, mm. the the paralysis that many people feel, lots of people know that they are in a job. They are doing a job. They have become a functional mm. cog. Like people know that about where they are, but they're paralyzed. So how did mm. you get from doing, being a human doing, to getting to the right. place where you're like, you know what? I'm going to be a human being. I'm going to be the person God created me to be, and I'm going to pursue that calling. Yeah, it, and I think that's it's a tough it's it's a tough road to get there, Carmen. Carmen, because of the messages that we're inundated with from society. What's your name? What do you do? Our kids are asked from the time they can walk and talk. What do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? So there's this implicit and explicit message that our only worth is in work. Okay, and so then we we identify ourselves and our significance with doing. Um, and so that's a function of society, but also churches. I, I've been to so church and church my entire life, and I was told I had to find this calling, this one thing that I could do, this one reason why I was on this earth, and uh, and that's associated with doing, is it not? Um, instead of just like Jesus's purpose was was to was to love God and to love people. I mean that that was his one purpose on earth. So why should our purpose be any different? But somehow along the way, our purpose and our calling they became so singularly tied with doing and with career and job and work and status and blah, blah, blah. And when those things shift and shake and they are bound to, 
we have an identity crisis. So the reason that I, um, you know, listen, I, I was at the height of my career and I, I walked away from these dream jobs, but I walked away because I went through a personal crisis. I walked away because at a professional high, I was at a personal low. My, my relationships were really, um, in the gutter with my husband and kids and my health was suffering. I wasn't going to church. So these things that I had professed to be of value to me and professed to be who I was, um, well, guess what? The choices that I was making, the choices were clashing with that. And so um, I was like, why am I at, you know, what is it for a man to gain the world, but to lose his soul? And in many regards, I felt like that. Everything that I had professed was important to me was clashing with the, with the, with the choices that I was making. So I went through um, a season of hell, and I think God allowed this personal crisis to happen in order to wake me up, to physically slow me down, because I wasn't going to slow down. But within seven months, I had a miscarriage with an emergency surgery. I had a concussion, a freak accident at work, and I was knocked out of work for three weeks. The day that I got cleared to go back to work, I was in a head-on car crash, and then I got influenza, which turned into pneumonia. And I said, all right, God, I, I knew that God was trying to call me out of that space because I felt it in my spirit. And I knew just, I, I just assessing the landscape, everything was falling apart around me. But then when I went through that personal crisis, I said, all right, God, I know if I'm not going to slow down, you're going to slow me down. And so once he slowed me down and I decided to step away, I knew that's what he was asking me to do, even though I didn't know what I was stepping into, but I knew that he wanted me to step away. I had a peace about that. And I was scared. Um, once I stepped away, I realized I didn't know who I was outside of my job. And Carmen, I'm a woman of faith. I've for so long said, I'm not defined by what I do. I'm defined by who I am, a wife, a mom. Um, and I could walk away and, and I would still know who I was. And guess what? When I walked away, I didn't, I had no clue who I was outside of doing. And so it was in that space where I write a lot of my book, where I write, um, you know, I had to, to really, I had to rediscover, I had to peel back the layers and, and figure out like, how did I get it so wrong? And how do we, so many of us get it so wrong in, in today's society where, where we mistake our value for vocation and our worth for work. And we think calling is just career related. So um, of course, when I step away from it, I'm not going to know who I am because that's what I'm, be, because this is what I've been told by society and by many churches too, the message to find this one thing. And so, um, you know, it was in that space of realizing I'd gotten it all wrong. Um, a lot of tears, um, a, a lot of just introspection and self-discovery and prayer, so much prayer for God. That's where he revealed to me, um, you know, we need, I, I needed to find out who I was outside of what I did, but I needed to, to find a purpose. I needed to reclaim my purpose and peel back those layers um, and, and, and discover my purpose outside of doing, because so many of us um, mistake our purpose and we tie it to, to something and that something can change, Carmen, whether it's our status, whether it's relationship, whether it's job, career, finances, we're tying our purpose to, to something that's going to shift and shake like it, it has in a pandemic or for me in a personal crisis. I misplace my significance in career and in job and in this status. And when that changed, my world was upside down. And so I, um, you know, I felt like in that space, God revealed, we have these two callings, we have a faith calling, or purpose, I call I use those words interchangeably in my book, and then we have a vocational calling, faith calling and purpose never change, ever. It's why we're here. It's why we're on this earth. It should not be tied to doing or career or job. 
my my mistake was, and so many of our mistakes, our purpose is so often tied to doing. So coming up with that purpose statement that isn't going to change, okay? And vocational calling will change. And we have to accept that. It, we have vocational shifts throughout our life. So vocation can change and will change. And now I see vocation as just the vehicle by which I'm going to fulfill my purpose of loving God and loving people. That's it. So um, yeah, but it, it took a while to get there. A lot of tears, a lot of, and, and, um, a lot of introspection. So I love it that, um, <clears throat> that you're giving us all permission to, uh, to have really, really different branches on our vocational calling. I think that's the language that, mm. that you use in the yep. book, um, because I'm sort of the queen of, oh, what's the, what's the next branch of the vocational calling? So I really appreciate that. Hey, I'm going to continue this conversation in just a moment with Paula Ferris. We are talking about her book called out. We'll be right back. All right. I'm talking with Paula Ferris. She's most recently the author of called out, but she's a sister in Christ. She's a wife. She's a mom. She is a person who is defined now by her purpose, not um, by her doing and so, uh, Paul, I want to affirm you, uh, Lisa has just texted. I'm pretty sure Lisa is in Dallas. She has texted, wonderful day uh, today. Every guest is wonderful. But I'm love, I love hearing Paula articulate her experience. It's really speaking to me. So I just want oh, to affirm awesome, you that. Lisa. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Thanks um, for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, my audience knows that I love, like, appendices and epilogues and afterwards. And so your book has an afterword, and uh, it's written by Max Lucado, who has, has been with us, and we love him. It's interesting to me the focus that he takes in the afterword, which is really a worldview focus. If I don't get it that I am made in the image of God, and intentionally so, I don't get the rest of this. So talk a little bit right. about um, understanding who we are as right. image bearers of God, as children of God, because God does not expect us to do anything. He just wants to be with us. Yeah. And I think somewhere along the way, we we confused the situation, Carmen, and it just became so much about doing, didn't it? Um, you know, I'm super passionate about this because I, and you mentioned it, just giving people the, I want to a release them from the lie, and and I I'm hoping in this message that I really feel that God put on my heart to release them from the lie that their worth isn't doing. We are so much more than what we do, are we not? And then once you do that, you can you can um, you have permission to see yourself outside of this one thing. And you mentioned it a little bit ago, Carmen. You're talking about vocational branches. You know, I for so long I saw myself as this one thing because I thought I was created to do this one thing. Um, to be a broadcaster. And once I was released from that lie that my worth was in doing and, and accepted that I'm so much more than what I do, God gave me the permission to, to see myself multidimensionally to realize that vocation can be seasonal. God might be calling us vocationally to something for a couple of seasons. Um, we can branch out and we can try new things, but I had to peel back those layers um, in order to do so. And that's what I, like I said, I want, I want the book to do. And you know, looking um, through a, a longer lens, Carmen, of once you can separate, once you know your worth outside of doing, um, discovering that purpose, but then finding some lanes, okay? But those lanes are based on 
the talents and gifts that God has given you. Uh, the, God wants you to use those talents and gifts to love God and love people in your unique capacity. And that can be a myriad of capacities. So how do you find your vocational lane by you asking yourself three questions, Carmen? And I don't know how you would introduce yourself, but peel back those layers. You know, for me, I'm curious. Um, I love to ask questions. I'm a communicator. I I'm a challenger. But ask yourself, what are you good at? What do you love? And what do trusted people notice that you're good at and you love? And it's not going to be so one-dimensional like, uh, I'm a good radio broadcaster or I'm a good podcaster. It's usually those, it's, it has to do with those talents and gifts that you have. And you have to check all three of those boxes. For me, I'm good at, I, I'm curious. My nickname was Paula 20 Questions growing up. I love to ask questions and trusted people in my life along the way, high school teacher, my college professors were speaking life into that saying that this is your lane. You're, you're a question asker. You're curious. You could probably channel this into broadcasting. But where I went wrong is not only did it become my identifier and who, and who I was, um, Carmen, but I started to see myself. And I think we see ourselves as this one thing for the rest of our lives and don't give ourselves the permission to branch out. But now that I know who I am outside of what I do, I know my worth outside of doing. God's given me this permission to say, you have these unique gifts, Paula, and Carmen, you have unique gifts, and Lisa, you have unique gifts. What are you good at? What do you love? What do trusted people notice you're good at and you love? And God can use those in so many different areas on so many different vocational branches. But just remember what you're doing and who you're doing it for. Vocation is just the vehicle by which you're going to show people the love of God and the love of people. Um, I, I have a friend who's a podcaster, and I asked her those three questions, and she's like, well, I'm I'm a listener and I'm an encourager. And that's what people have always told her that she's really good at. She's an author, she's a podcaster, and she's a counselor. You see how those gifts have manifest themselves on different vocational branches in different vocational capacities. Um, I don't, what would you say, Carmen? What are you good at? What do you love? What do trusted people notice that you're good at and you love? Like talents and gifts wise. Yeah, so passionate would be on the list um, in terms of the gospel okay. being advanced always mm -hmm. and in all ways. So it doesn't really matter to me what the what the platform is. I'm a conversational provocateur, so I may not be good at asking questions, but I am good at provoking other people to talk. You are. You're very good. So, at it. so there you go. And so I'll I'm confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, um, yeah, I think that uh, when I talk about um, what I'm in the world to do, it is to um, equip other people to mm -hmm. um, to engage always and in all ways in the advancement of the gospel. So what does that look like? Cultivating and applying the mind of Christ on the matters of the day, so good. getting off of the sidelines and into the conversations of the day in ways that honor Jesus. Like that is what I I mean, that is my do side um, and I do all of that in 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 every conversation, in every environment, all the time. Yep, yep. See, and I happen to be right now doing it on radio. Yeah, it, and it's great. But yeah. do you see how your talents and gifts, your unique talents and gifts, can they can manifest on a, a, so many different vocational branches? Oh but yes, which is just, why, which is why when people say, yeah, which is why when people say, Carmen, you need to find a lane. I'm like, I am all over the place. Like, I can't, I'm not going to be in a lane. I'm just going like, to tell you right I'm now. Like, I want a six-lane highway, people. <laughs> I am. Give me the six-lane highway. That's right. I don't ask God for, like, a smaller plate. I'm like, give me the turkey platter. I can, you know, See, it's not that I feel like I can do good. it all. But it's exciting. There's mm -hmm. so much opportunity. And, 
and you just go uh, in in every direction, and uh, and God is opening up uh, those divine appointments. I feel like this has been one of them. Paula, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for the conversation today. Absolutely, the book. God bless you. you. The book is called Out. Paula Ferris, F A R I S, is the author. Um, go check it out. I'm buying some copies for some women that I love. All right. We'll be, uh, Paul, am I taking this to the end? Oh, yeah. I'm taking it to the end. We are all done for the day. Pray for my mom. She is still in surgery at this moment. She is in good hands. She is in good hands because she is in the hands of the Lord, who is the great physician. Also praying for the hands of the physicians whose hands are on her right now in this moment. Also praying for Billy Russell and others with whom we have been talking uh, today about the issues in Minneapolis and now spreading across the country related to George Floyd. Let us keep uh, asking ourselves what we would do if we got to the place where we could not breathe. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.